Good morning. Hey, there you go. All right, we got this. We got this. This isn't like a sign of things to come or anything. All right, this morning we have a special guest speaker, Adam. He's going to bring the word this morning. <laughs> Everybody, give Adam a round of applause. Don't get your hopes up. This will take 20 seconds. Anyway, for those of you that are keeping track, three, roughly three years ago around this time was when we installed Pastor Nicole as our head pastor here at BFCN. Um, it's always easy, easy to remember because you came in the middle of January and it was cold and then every time it gets cold, it's like, oh yeah, right, right around the time then a cooking. And it was during COVID and everything. That was a big, good time. Anyway, it's only been three years. We want to always show our appreciation and our thanks. So Nicole, if you could migrate your way up here and we want to say on behalf of the church and on behalf of the church board, thank you everything that you have done in the last three years to lead our church and to lead our congregation and the service you provided. So if we give one more round of applause. Thank you. Yes, we love our pastor. We are very blessed. We are very blessed to have a good pastor. And we are blessed to have a good God this morning. Amen. 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 Um, just going to say a word of prayer uh, as we enter this uh, posture of worship. If you would just close your eyes or open your heart to the Lord this morning. God, we are just so grateful to be here in your presence, to be with our brothers and our sisters in this beautiful community that you have brought together. We ask, God, that you would be honored this morning, that you would help us to be honest and genuine in our worship, that we come to you fully unconcealed, that we would just open our hearts to you, God, and that you would just be gentle with us, that you would be patient with us, and Lord, that you would just bless our efforts as we come imperfectly to worship you, God, that you would uh, bring about a beautiful sound of worship of, in our midst for your glory, for our joy. God, I just ask that you would help every person here to know that you are with them, not just in this place, but with them individually, that your spirit would be made known, that we would feel your presence in a tangible way, that we would hear your voice, that we would feel your promptings, God, and that we would have this moment to just be with you, to just commune with you, to just focus all of our attention on you, to help us to remember how good that is. Lord, we just ask that you would give us that water, the water, the living water, so that we wouldn't thirst anymore. Amen. Come, take a big drink. We're going to worship this morning. can stand with us if you're able if you're not that's okay too Yeah, there's joy in the house of the Lord. 
there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We shout out your praise. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. He hung up on that cross and he rose up from that grave. My God is still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. This is why we have joy. Because we were the beggars. But now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Cause we were the beggars, but now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by his grace. The house of the Lord There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. that song because it, it sometimes it can feel tempting to put on a face of joy and happiness in the house of God. I feel like some songs can even make it feel like that's what we're trying to get you to do. But I love this song because it reminds us that our true joy comes from him and the things that he has done. So even in the worst possible situation, we have a reason to be joyful in this house. Amen. If you would play, Kevin, I'm going to read a call to worship this morning from Colossians chapter three. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is your story? This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. One more time. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior 
all the day long. Amen. It's been a while since we did this one. We've done it a few times, so I hope you remember it. If you don't, just follow along, listen to the words, and sing the parts that you can. There's some easier parts. This is a really good song. I'm calling on the God of Jacob Whose love endures through generations that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. I need you now to do the same thing for me. the same God. You are the same God. 
You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You moved in power then. God moved in power now. You are the same God. Do you believe it this morning? You are the same God. You are a healer then. You are a healer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are a Savior then. You are a Savior now. You are the same God. You are the same God. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages. I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. Right now, tell him something that he was faithful in your life. Remember him being faithful in your story. Um, I just have to tell you that I had not put the dates together, like I was not even thinking about what date it was, that it was the last Sunday in January, which marks our first Sunday here three years ago, and um, so I'm surprised by what what I'm going to receive as a reminder from my Lord of his faithfulness because, you know, I'm not entirely ignorant, (laughs) sometimes slightly, but not entirely. And so I knew upon coming here um, that I wouldn't have someone like Karen around forever. 
uh, I knew that there would come a time where she would possibly want to retire, travel more with her husband. Um, I will say that that, you know, our time working together was, I can't even look at you. <laughs> I'm not going to look at her. <laughs> that our time was cut far too short together. Um, and I am just so grateful for how Karen has been the kind of pastor I've needed at times. And working with Karen is probably the first time, my first experience of working with someone who, yes, her vocation was at the church and, and she works at the church and for the church and with the church, but I was so surprised at what a partner in ministry she would be for me and how she would encourage me and preach to me and speak to me and pray for me and embolden me. And so over the past several months, you know, I've avoided thinking about like how, uh, what life is going to look like without her working by my side. And today I just feel this reminder that God is faithful and, and that God is going to use Mike and Karen, which by the way, Mike, if you're out there, go ahead and come in here. So I should have told you that earlier. Sorry. But go ahead and come in here, Mike. Somebody find Mike and send him in here because we're going to pray for Mike and Karen in just a moment. But um, there he is. I, um, I'm just reminded today, you know, it's hard to lose people. It's hard when people move, especially when people like Mike and Karen move. And, you know, Mike has told me over and over again that they're replaceable. People are replaceable. And, you know, that may be true in the business world, Mike. But I'm just going to tell you that you can take that and uh, just leave it at work. How about that? Take it to work and leave it at work because you too, while God is faithful and, and I know that other people will step in and step up to serve in the way that you guys have served, but you too will never be replaceable. And this church loves you and we are going to miss you guys so much. And so I felt uh, really strongly this morning that I wanted to ask Mike and Karen to come forward and I wanted some of us to gather around them and just pray for them as God sends them and moves them. And I just want to send them off with this, a prayer from their church family, gathering around them, letting them know that, that we're here, that we're going to love and miss them. And and that we're excited to see how God moves in their lives and, and what this next chapter looks like for them. And we're trusting in what it looks like for us because he is faithful. He provided then, he will provide now. And we're standing on that faithfulness together with you guys here and there. Okay, so I'm going to ask Mike and Karen to come forward. And I'm just going to offer up a prayer of blessing and sending. And I'm just going to ask that some who might feel prompted would come and gather around them and just good old fashioned lay hands on them. And, and we're just going to tell God how grateful we are for this couple, for their faithfulness. And we're just trusting uh, in what God is doing in their lives and even here. So God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of friendship and the gift of community. 
And we are so grateful that, that we and that I have found these things in this couple. I thank you so much, God, that you have given Mike and Karen such unique and beautiful gifts that they serve faithfully. And there is just almost nothing that can stop these two from faithfully and relentlessly showing up and serving their church, serving their congregation and serving alongside one another, serving and loving their pastors. God, I thank you for what a support and what an encouragement these two have been to me. And I know what they have been to previous pastors and members here. God, I thank you for the way that these two love fiercely. They have such a fierce love. It is fiery and we have all experienced the fiery aspects of their love, but it's because it's deep, it's genuine, it's real. They don't pretend, they don't put on a face. These two are real, they are authentic, they have led the way in showing up as who they are and just loving and serving fiercely and relentlessly and what a beautiful example they are to us. God, I thank you for the friendship that Mike and Karen have offered to a number of people in this room, if not everyone in this room. I thank you for the way that Karen chases people down to let them know that she's happy to see them. I thank you for the way, God, that that Mike faithfully shows up and, and just does things that need to be done, not because someone has asked him to, not because he feels like it's his job, but because it's what he does. He cares. He cares and he, and he lets people know that he cares. And even when they don't know, God, he is just a faithful servant. And I'm just so grateful for the example that he has set and the example that these two will leave. God, I pray that, that they would remain an example to us of what faithful leadership and service looks like. And there's just not enough gifts or, or salaries or, or words that could really cover or describe or, or reimburse what these two are worth. And God, I know that there are others in our midst who love and serve faithfully. And, and there are others in our midst who who can love and serve this faithfully. And so God, I thank you for the beautiful example that Mike and Karen set. And I pray that it would encourage us and challenge us to be these kind of people to serve in these kinds of ways. But as we said, God, they are irreplaceable. And so we thank you. We just thank you that that you are, are calling them to this new chapter of life and that they are gonna go and enjoy a, a well-deserved retirement and time with with their kids that they haven't lived near in a long time and grandkids and, and, and they're going to be in a place they love and they're going to have the freedom and ability to travel more and just enjoy life. And God, I know that they're going to continue to serve you in the process. I know that they're not retiring from Christian or faithful service. I'm not worried about that with these two. God, I, I thank you for the ways that you're already going to use them in this next chapter of life. God, would you show them that you're not finished with them? 
God, I pray that they would enjoy this next chapter of life, that they would enjoy and, and soak up this phase of life. But God, may they know that you're not finished with them yet, that in many ways, you're just getting started. May they continue, God, only by your strength, may they continue to minister, to serve, to show up for, and to fiercely love those who are in their midst. May they be a light to their neighbors. God, we just trust this next phase of life to you. We trust Mike and Karen to you, and we thank you for the gift that they've been to us. God, may they know how deeply, deeply loved and appreciated they are. And may they always look back at this church, this congregation, this community with fond memories. And, and may they feel that fullness of love. May it travel all the way to Florida, to the villages with them. May they carry that love with them. May they find this kind of community there. We know that just as Mike and Karen aren't replaceable, we know that this community is not replaceable. But may they find community. May they find a church, a, a faith community that loves and embraces and welcomes them. May you give them fruitful relationships. May you give them brothers and sisters in Christ who, who can encourage them minister to them God would you be in that in those unknowns make a way for them God we love you we trust you you are faithful you are good you are true we just thank you for Mike and for Karen We pray all these things and we ask all these blessings in the name of Christ Jesus, who goes before us and who is with us. Amen. You know, it's all God gets the glory. It's only the Amen. 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 Thank you, Larry. 
Larry, you're going to have to uh, step up your game and you're amening. You're going to have to do it for you and Karen. Unless someone else is going to take that role. It's nice to have a balance, you know. It's nice to have that affirmation over here and over here. So that's right. You may just have to go back and forth. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to do it, but somebody over here, you got to step up. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. Amen. It's, it's such a beautiful and strange thing in life that, that we can enjoy and love someone and something so much that makes it so stinking hard to let go and say goodbye. But what a blessing that is. What a gift that is. So if you haven't already, uh, there is a, a frame outside sitting, I think, on the coffee bar. Uh, if you haven't been able to sign that, then I would love to encourage you to sign that. Uh, this is our last Sunday with Mike and Karen. They are leaving early this week, and so we just wanted to send that frame with them as a little reminder that their heart, that, that, that we are here, and piece of their heart is here. And, and so even if you just sign your name, uh, if you haven't been able to do that, please do that, and uh, I know that they'll be glad to take that with them. Right. Well, we're going to transition now somehow. I should have saved that till the end. I'm not really sure what I was thinking there, but um, let me offer up a prayer for, for this sermon. God, we thank you that you are here with us and that you are going to challenge us. You're going to teach us. God, may we be teachable in this moment. God, may we be open to your word and to how you want to help us grow. God, I, I pray that, that each person in this room, that, that somehow through these words, that you would just give us a little glimpse of, of something better that you have for us. That these are challenging words, that it's challenging and can, can be overwhelming to talk about spiritual disciplines and, and things we can do or eliminate to intentionally grow closer to you it can be really difficult and, and it can feel overwhelming, but God, I know you can help us. I know that you can give us just those little glimpses of challenges or encouragement as you seek to help us grow. We all are growing, God. We all have come a long way, but we all have a ways to go. We can always grow deeper. We can always know you better. And so, God, I just pray that you would use these words to challenge us, encourage us. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? May we be open. Help us to be teachable in this moment. We thank you for your word, God. It's so helpful for us. May your word teach us again in this moment. Help me, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we are continuing in this series of spiritual disciplines. Uh, just a little way to begin the year that we've done the past few years now, um, just to help us to begin this year with intentionality. 
you know, I talked about uh, how I don't really care for New Year's resolutions. Uh, I think they're great. Personally, I I just lean a different way at the beginning of the new year, and I'm often just more challenged spiritually as I consider the previous year and as I consider what how God is calling me uh, even closer in this coming year and in this moment. And so I just think it can be helpful to begin the year off with with some new, perhaps, spiritual disciplines that we can incorporate as we try to grow closer to God, because we all can grow closer to God. Amen? <laughs> can we acknowledge that? And and there may be some disciplines along the way that you just find are not very helpful for you, and that's fine. Like, I, I'm just going to tell you, today we're talking about the discipline of letting go, spoiler alert, and I can let go of the fact that this may not be the discipline for everyone. I think it's very healthy, and I believe in this, but this discipline or others may not be something that you need or find to be helpful, and that is okay. Not every one of these has to pierce you in the center of your heart and change your life. Like It's okay if it doesn't, but I'm hopeful that along the way that someone can kind of grab onto something, some concept, some discipline or part of a discipline that can be helpful for spiritual growth. That's what I'm after, okay? Uh, And so I want to start off with a question. Have you ever been confronted with an unhealthy attachment? Have you ever been confronted with an unhealthy attachment? Something that you find that you need in order to feel complete? in order to feel uh, whole, in order to feel like you matter, or in order to feel like you can make it? Have you ever found yourself confronted with an unhealthy attachment? I am confident that everyone in this room can say yes to that question at one time or another, whether it's in this moment or a moment you can think of Uh, at some point in your life. But the question, I think that's a helpful question to kind of get us thinking about this, but a question that I really wrestled with this week and that I really wondered about is, how do we know when we have an unhealthy attachment to something? How do we know when we are, are grasping a little too tightly to something? And as I thought about that, I thought, well, there's maybe part of the answer. That, that maybe we can know we have an unhealthy attachment to someone or something when, when we feel like we're having to cling to it, to like grasp it, almost like we're just like grasping it because it's out of our reach, but we keep grasping for it or we're feeling like we are, are holding on to something that belongs to us. It's our right. We need this. I have to have this. Whatever this thing is, I think anytime we feel like we're having to grasp for it, work too hard for it, then maybe it's time to evaluate if that's an unhealthy attachment. But how you can know for sure, okay, this I can say with absolute confidence, that anytime we are attached to something or we're grasping for something or clinging to something that defines us more than God, that's an unhealthy attachment. Anytime that we feel like we need uh, something more than God, we're leaning on something or trusting in something, someone in some cases, more than God, it's time to, to practice the spiritual discipline of letting go. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So here's what I appreciate about spiritual disciplines, is that there are all kinds, hundreds of disciplines that we can incorporate into our life. Doesn't mean you have to incorporate all of them, okay? You can make a job out of just checking off these boxes that that you feel like are helping you grow spiritually when they're not. 
So that's not the point here, but I love that with spiritual disciplines, you have disciplines that help you to be more open to God, right? That the purpose of a lot of these disciplines is to help me to just open myself up more to God. And then I love that there are disciplines that we can incorporate into our lives that help us to be more open with each other, right? There are disciplines that are directed at helping us to be more open to each other. And then there are disciplines that help us to relinquish or get rid of a false self. And that's kind of what, that's exactly what uh, the spiritual discipline of letting go is. It's, It's acknowledging a false self and it's getting rid of it. And so I, I was thinking about the things that we oftentimes firmly grasp, the things that we cling to that define us or the things that we want to define us. And, and there are so many things, right? There are so many things. This is such a short list. But I think that, that these are some of the ones we might wrestle with a lot of the time. So I think that a lot of time, this is giving me trouble again, Les, so I'm just going to give you full control trust you. (laughs) Um, I think oftentimes we cling to or firmly grasp uh, on, hold on to success, right? We all want to be successful. Who doesn't want to be successful? I think so often we, we understand other people or ourselves to be defined by success, whatever that means. That can look like and mean a number of different things, but how often do you hear Like you immediately meet someone and you might know that he or she is well known for all of their success. And so immediately in that moment, you connect that person with success. Like, oh, congratulations on all your success. Or or, do you know so-and-so or have you met so-and-so? He or she is so successful in all they do. And before you know it, you become defined by or you cling to being known for, for how successful you are. This can become an identity, something you are attached to, something that you strive and work for. Success is not a bad thing. Keep in mind, a lot of these things, notice that with spiritual disciplines, we're not naming like sinful things all the time, although there is a place for that, right? Absolutely a place for that. But with spiritual disciplines, when we're talking about letting go of things or getting rid of things, they're not necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but they can have a, a place in our lives that that is, uh, takes the place of God, and therefore they become idolatrous, right? And so I think that a lot of times we cling to success. We want to be defined by success. I think along with that, related to that, is money. We cling to anything that, that helps us to make more money, right? I think this can be related to success. I think these things can go hand in hand. I think our problem with money is that for some of us, it's just never enough, and we always need more. But I think for others... Uh, it's just about security and comfort and, and worrying that we're going to have to go without, right? And so money becomes our focus. And if we're not careful, money becomes the thing we're attached to. I think one of our greatest fears is this fear of scarcity, of running out, of not having enough. I get it. I think about this often. I stress about this often. It's so entirely easy to think about the what ifs of life like all the things that can go wrong and how quickly I'm going to run out of the money to pay for all the things that can go wrong. It's overwhelming, but before we know it, we find ourselves attached to to money and the security that money offers us, or so we think, right? Again, along with that, I think these three can kind of all go together. I think a lot of times we're attached to power. We cling to power. We can't let go of power, 
And for obvious reasons, with more power comes more control. We want to call the shots. We want to make the rules. We want things to go a certain way. And so we cling to power. A little bit uh, different, but still tricky and still tempting for us. I think a lot of us are attached to our egos or to a particular ego. And this doesn't just mean a person that is full of himself or herself. But I think with egos, we're attached to an image or we're attached to maintaining a certain image. I want people to see me a certain way. I want people to see me in a certain light. With our ego, our, if we're not careful, our ego can become and define our self, our self-worth. It's this image that we have for ourselves where we are obsessed with how others see us, with how others perceive us, and we can easily become attached to an ego, and it's therefore it becomes what defines us. This one's really tricky, and I think if we're not careful, this one can sneak up on all of us. We can grasp onto and hold onto productivity. And the thing, the reason why this is so dangerous is because when we're grasping or clinging to productivity, it's because we are what we produce. We are what we make. We are what we accomplish. We are what we create. And if we aren't doing, if we aren't producing, if we aren't making, if we aren't accomplished, then we are seen as less than or less significant. And so we become attached to what we produce, to what we do, to what, what we make, and it becomes our identity. This one is probably really relatable for most, if not all of us, and that is being attached to or clinging to our pride, right? Pride, in, in a certain sense, and in many cases, can be the opposite of humility, and no one likes to be humili- humi- humiliated. <laughs> That's ironic. Nobody likes to be wrong. Nobody likes to be proven wrong, right? Nobody enjoys the feeling of, of being wrong or not knowing things. So the, the problem with pride, there's a number of things, but one of the reasons that pride is, is something that we should not be grasping or holding on to is because with this pride, with this issue of pride, we are less likely to be open to learning things because we think we know all the things. We we think that we don't need to learn anything else. We think we don't need to unlearn things. We don't think we need to relearn things. And, and pride tricks us into believing that we don't need anyone to teach us anything, which is really absurd. And yet, why is it so difficult to be humble? Why is it so easy to be filled with pride? But oftentimes we grasp and cling to our pride. Uh, we grasp or cling to seeking credit. This can be sort of connected to pride. But, but a lot of times we need people to know, not just for myself, but I need other people to know how great I am, how accomplished I am, what I can do, what I know. I need, to, I need other people to know how smart I am. We need people to know how skilled we are. And this kind of relates to productivity because if our identity is found in what we do, then we are certainly going to need credit for that so that other people can affirm and acknowledge us so that we can feel good about ourselves and like we have a place and this is who we are. And this one's hard. I'll end with this one. We grasp or cling to comparison. We're forever holding ourselves in light of others, comparing ourselves to others. And a lot of times this is because we are not confident in who we are 
And I'd say most, more specifically, because we're not confident in who we are in Christ. I think this could be a secular issue or a, a spiritual issue. And so I'm more concerned about who I am in Christ and why I think I need validation from others or why I need to compare myself to others so that I can know that I'm, you know, that I know who I am. I can be validated, right? We're, we're often always trying to make sure that we measure up. And so we find ourselves attached to comparison. Again, this is just a starting list. This list can go on and on and on. Maybe it already feels like I've gone on and on and on. But there are a number of things. So two weeks ago, crazy two weeks ago, you may or may not have watched it because it was just a, a really unfortunate, crazy day. But two weeks ago, we talked about the discipline of a rule of life. And the, the whole point of talking about a rule of life is is ordering our life in such a way that we are remaining in or abiding in Christ, right? That's what Jesus has instructed us to do, that, that he has told us that, that we are to remain in him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we're not going to grow. We're just going to die spiritually and physically, right? We're all going to die physically eventually, but spiritually, if we're separated from Christ, if that relationship is severed, we are going to die. And so we talked about how important it is to remain or abide in Christ and a rule of life is, is something that we can look at and, and, and say, this is how I'm going to be intentional in re- remaining in or abiding in Christ. And I think letting go, or you could even use the word detach if you want, because we're talking about things that we are attached to. So sometimes we need to detach. The spiritual discipline of letting go is important because it helps us to remain or abide in Christ. The spiritual discipline of letting go is important because we are replacing the attachment to idolatrous relationships. We are replacing, this is what we're seeking to do. We're seeking to replace uh, self-serving goals and agendas for success. We are seeking to replace money and power and ego and productivity and image with wholehearted and complete attachment to trust in God and God alone. Trust in God to tell us who we are, to tell us what he wants for our lives, and trust in God that that we don't have to do or maintain any of these things to create an image for ourselves because our image is in God and in God alone. So why is this important? Like, what's the point here? What does this have to do with Jesus? Maybe you're, you're kind of wondering that. And as I thought about Jesus this week, as I really thought about his life and the glimpse of his life that we get in scripture, in the gospels, when we look at Jesus' life, we clearly see, and this is affirmed in almost every interaction, every conversation, or every glimpse we get into what Jesus did and how Jesus lived, Jesus was attached to one thing and one thing alone, or one person, Jesus was completely attached to his father. And everything he did or said affirmed that Jesus' identity, everything he set out to do, was informed and and was meant to be pleasing to the father. And this was challenged all the time, not just by the obvious religious leaders, right? They challenged who Jesus was, but Jesus' family challenged him on this. 
And Jesus was concerned with God the Father over family. Jesus' friends and disciples challenged this and tried to maybe say, no, Jesus, this is actually what you're, you're looking for, and this is what you, we need you to be. And Jesus rejected his friends. He had to acknowledge that he wasn't seeking to please his friends. He reminded them that he is uh, seeking the Father and the Father alone. And I think Jesus had to die to or lay down or let go of his own personal preferences on, on what would be the easiest for him as a human, as human and God. And as we go throughout the Gospels, we see that Je- Jesus was willing to release or to let go of several things to remain attached or to remain in his Father. Let me give you a few examples. Jesus was tempted with, we know this, right? Well-known story in Matthew chapter four and in Luke chapter four with Jesus in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. We see that Jesus is tempted with this quick ascent to power. In other words, Satan was trying to challenge Jesus, to tempt Jesus. Here's a quick way to gain all the authority and splendor that you're after. Like he even used scripture. We know this, right? But it's a reminder. Satan used scripture to twist and distort what God's will for Jesus was. Here's a quick way to ascend to authority and to, or claim authority and to seek power, right? And Jesus doesn't even have to grasp onto this. Like he doesn't even hold on to it to let it go. He just completely passes by that because he knows that that is not where his identity is found, that, that he does have all power and all glory and, and he will be recognized, he will have all authority, but it's not gonna come in this way, even though for whatever reason, Satan thought that would be tempting for Jesus. And maybe, maybe it was in some way. Jesus gave up or released, this one, you gotta really try to hear what I'm saying. You could easily misunderstand me here, but Jesus gave up or released being right in the eyes of others, or maybe we could say being understood in the eyes of others. Think about all the times in scripture, like Luke chapter four, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, for instance, when Jesus is driven out of of the synagogue in his hometown, ultimately driven out of his hometown because he was completely misunderstood in that moment. As Jesus is standing before his his town before his people, before the people of God. And he is saying, this is who God has always been. This is what God is doing. I am initiating this here and now. The kingdom of God is coming. It has come. Here's what the kingdom of God looks like. And immediately he is misunderstood. He's being accused of of heresy and they are threatened by him. And so right out of the gate, they are seeking to get rid of him and they drive him out of town. And I'm so struck by Luke's Uh, words when he says that Jesus, they're trying to drive him off a cliff and like get rid of him immediately. And Jesus, Luke says, walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Like he is completely misunderstood in this moment. The son of God, he's completely understood in this moment. And he just walks right through the crowd and goes on his way because He knows that this does not define him. He's okay with being misunderstood by these people in this moment because he knows what God is doing and he trusts in what God is doing. I think about how difficult it must have been for Jesus near the end when he's, you know, making his way to the cross and he's before Pilate and Pilate is challenging Jesus and asking him hard questions. And I think trying to appeal to him just a little bit, like, Jesus, just help me out here. Like, help me understand, help me help you. And Jesus is not even concerned 
with, with helping Pilate to understand him. Jesus is okay that even Pilate, who may be, may be somewhat trying to understand, he's just not able to, and Jesus is okay with that. That even in these last moments where he is being abandoned, he is alone, it's him against everyone, and he's okay with not being completely understood. Similar to that, Jesus was okay with releasing this idea that he needed to be relevant. I think about how difficult it must have been when Jesus has all of of the religious people, all of, uh, many of anyways, most of the people of God against him. Like here he is the son of God, the Messiah, the one who everyone should have recognized and and praised and, and everyone should have been so thrilled that here is the Messiah coming to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And instead they rejected him. They, they went against everything he said. They challenged everything he did. And Jesus was okay with not being relevant in their eyes. I mean, the religious leaders and the religious community made Jesus completely irrelevant among his own people. And Jesus was seemingly willing to let that be the case. He wasn't concerned with being relevant. He was concerned with bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And he trusted in the way that God was doing that in and through him. And that's all he was concerned about. By the way, Jesus was fully human, so I'm not saying that these things weren't difficult for him. Like, I believe these things were difficult for Jesus. I don't believe that he was just some superhero that's like, I don't care, I'm God, (laughs) right? But he had a resolve. He had a willingness. He was fixed on God's way. Jesus gave up or released any shortcuts. This one's pretty straightforward. Like, Jesus was committed to the long hard road of suffering. Jesus was committed to the long, hard road of dying to self over and over again. It was long. It was hard. It wasn't quick. It wasn't easy. There was no shortcut. He was committed. He had this holy resolve to walk this long, hard road. And then again, I even, I even feel like Jesus gave up. He wasn't clinging to this need to appear successful right? In human eyes, in human uh, understanding, like at his very dying moment, at his last moment, everyone had abandoned him minus a handful of people, less than a handful. Everyone else had abandoned him. At that moment, the last word before Jesus died was, look, even God has abandoned him. Even God is not coming to rescue him. Like in that moment, Jesus had to be okay with appearing in the eyes of others really unsuccessful. And like this mission has been a complete failure because even God has left him now. Do you see what I'm saying? Like Jesus was willing and okay to let go of anything that that maybe would have been attractional to him as a human being to receive affirmation and success in the eyes of others, he was willing to release all of that and let it go because he had one focus and that was God the Father. Anything that kept Jesus from being attached or attached to the Father or remaining in the Father, Jesus was willing to let go of. He didn't grasp for these things. He wasn't like, whoa, whoa, wait, hear me out. Like, let me help you. No, Jesus had one resolve and he was willing to let go of those things that maybe caused him to be severely misunderstood in the eyes of others. And so then, I promise that 
It took us a while to get here, and we're not going to take this much longer to unpack all of this, but we're actually leading up to the scripture today. It is with complete authority and a holy resolve that Jesus can say what he says here in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So this was not just the disciples. This was a crowd of people. He calls them to him and says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, and this week I, I, I heard that in a different way, whoever wants to grasp onto, cling to, attach themselves to, whoever is seeking to cling to this life will lose it. But whoever wants to lose, release, Give up is how I read this this week. Their life for me and for the gospel, they will save it. I think this is one of those passages that is really difficult for us to interpret, to understand what exactly Jesus means for us. I think this is one of those passages that is really difficult for us to relate to. And here's why I say that. Because I think we really struggle to understand what Jesus means by taking up our cross. Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever struggle with what does it mean for me, someone living in 2024 in America, in a very privileged and favorable towards Christianity nation? Like we're here at church today and no one is actively threatening us. Like it's very comfortable here, right? How do we die to self or, or carry our cross? What does it mean for us to carry our cross, to take up our cross. What does that really mean? We want to define this so that we know that we're doing what Jesus says. And this week I was reading a book by author David G. Banner, and I really appreciated how, like, what his thoughts are on this. And he talks about Jesus' literal cross, okay? Because Jesus, in, after this, is about to take up a literal cross. And so David G. Banner says this, he says, this external cross was merely the symbol, don't misunderstand that, I'll clarify that in just a moment, of many inner crosses he had long before this day. He had learned to bear in his choosing of God. Had he not first learned to take up these inner crosses, perhaps he would have been unable to choose the external one. And so just to be clear, he's not saying that the cross was a symbol, that it you know, didn't actually happen. He's saying that perhaps part of Jesus' resolve to take up his literal cross was the fact that he had already taken up several inner crosses leading up to this moment. He had already died to himself over and over and over again. And sometimes I think about this idea that we get here that, that Jesus may be talking about a literal cross or martyrdom. And I think a lot of times that, that we struggle to, to relate to this because we might understand this passage in that way, that Jesus is talking about a literal cross, which for many of his disciples, for many of his followers, they did take up a literal cross. They did lay, the, lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. But how are we to relate to this or how are we to, to, to take something from this and apply it to our lives when most all of us will never die a literal death for the sake of the gospel, right? I'm not saying no one ever does. I'm just saying that for, for all of us, for most of us, that is likely not going to happen. And so it leaves us struggling to understand how we are to 
relate to this passage or what this passage means for us. Like, if we understand that for many of us, this isn't going to mean a literal martyrdom, although it could, I'm not saying it's not possible, but for many of us, it's not going to mean that. Does that mean that my little, my bearing my cross is the little annoyances in life? Like, oh, this is just my burden to bear, my cross to bear, right? Do we go to that extreme? I say no. I don't think that's what this means. Or what about those of us who read this passage and it's like, I'm not suffering enough for Jesus. Like, I need to suffer more for Jesus. We're always concerned that we aren't suffering enough. Again, David Benner was really helpful. I said Banner earlier, but it's Benner. It was really helpful for me to hear what he said in this way. He says, the way of the cross is not marked so much by the intensity of our suffering. It can. but." as it is by our willing choice of God's way over our way. No matter what distress we are experiencing or what hardship we are facing, he says, God's way will always present us with choice points where we must decide between self-preservation or self-renunciation. I want to say that again. God's way will always present us with choice points where we must decide between self-preservation or self-renunciation. And choosing self-renunciation, he says, is taking up our cross because it always involves loss and it will often occur within the context of suffering. Now hear me out. I think sometimes when it comes to Jesus' words in Mark 8, we prefer, we might prefer the literal martyrdom translation or understanding. And I don't mean that offensively, and I don't say that lightly. The reason I think we might prefer that to mean a literal martyrdom is because chances are we'll never experience that. We can't relate to that. We can't imagine that more than likely. And so Wouldn't we prefer that? Because, well, that's a lot easier to, okay, that's probably not going to happen, so we're good. But the other understanding of this passage, that it's, it's constantly submitting to God's ways over ours and either dying to self or preserving self, that's a lot harder for us because dying to ourself daily is really, really difficult. It's so difficult that I am convinced that we might prefer the martyrdom understanding of this passage only because then we're off the hook. And that's where this gets really tricky. That's where this is like, I don't want to preach that. That's just going to make everybody mad. And everyone is just going to not like this. Because self-renunciation, denying self, dying to self is so very difficult. It's so difficult. It's why fasting seems so difficult because rejecting this idea of rejecting or denying myself and my desires, like I don't want to do that. I choose. We choose not to do that because it's just too hard. We don't, we can't even die to ourselves temporarily. It's just too difficult, right? Rejecting or denying my wants or, or desires for more of God, it sounds great, but it's just really difficult. That's why Lent is so unpleasant for a lot of people. Right? Dying to self, ashes, dust, really? That's really depressing. Dying to self, like talking about that every week for six weeks, is that's just depressing. It's unpleasant. I can't relate, and I don't want to. 
disciplines, spiritual disciplines, the very word implies that we are denying ourselves in some way. And I don't want to do that. That means that I have to evaluate God's real place in my life. And I'm not ready to discover what that is. I'm not ready to deal with what I need to deal with so that God has center place or center stage in my life. I don't want to hear about the spiritual discipline of fasting because I'm not ready to give up that thing that I feel like I need. I don't want to hear about the spiritual discipline of generosity or giving because that means that I have to figure out what can I live without? What can I do? What can I have less of so that I can give more and be more generous? I don't want to do that. Have you ever seen the the Lego Batman movie? That's all I can think of. I really wish I would have thought to play that clip for you because it's so classic. I don't want to do that in my best Batman voice. I don't want to hear about sobriety because I'm not ready to do the work of discovering why I need these substances. I'm not ready to discover why I need these things. And so I don't want to hear about the spiritual discipline of relinquishing the false self and and, and exercising sobriety. I don't want to hear about the spiritual discipline of service because I don't have time to think about serving others, let alone actually serve them. That makes this a really hard series because I know that most of us don't really want to hear or deal with these things, myself included. Spiritual disciplines, though, here's how this all comes together. Spiritual disciplines are often about letting go, detaching. The spiritual disciplines are are this refusal to attach ourselves to anything other than God. But the reason that I think the spiritual discipline of letting go is so important is because it liberates us, friends. It frees us to trust in the ways that God wants to be God in us. God can't be God in us when we are clinging to anything and everything but him. And so letting go, like it is, and I I know that there is like this idea that there's so many things, like let go and let God, like that's not what we're talking about, right? It's not this like, like this just image of just let it go, right? I don't I still don't know what that means, by the way. Like if you know what it means to just let go and let God, I would love to know what it actually means because I heard it my whole life and I was like, oh yeah, oh, got you. Let go and let God, got it. All right. It's not better. I don't know. I don't know what that means. But also this isn't just like, let it go and be free to be you. No, we're talking about God being God in us And oftentimes, God can't be God in us because we're too busy clinging to anything and everything else. But letting go of anything and everything else that replaces trust in God is actually very freeing and helps us to see our truth and our reality in Christ. And that is that we are loved, that we are chosen, and we are forgiven. This truth, this reality is that we were loved before we could do anything to earn it, and therefore we don't need to earn it. The truth and reality is that we were worthy before we could ever work for our worth, so we don't need to work for it. The truth and the reality in Christ is that our identity is not in who the world says we are or who we try to be in the world, but our identity is centered and rooted in Christ's self-giving love 
love which is, by the way, abundant and which, by the way, is enough. And this reality and truth and letting go is that I don't have to fear losing anything. I don't have to cling to anything because I have all that I need in Christ and he is enough. The truth and reality in letting go is that I can let others win. I don't have to have the spotlight. I don't have to have the attention because my validation comes from Christ and Christ alone, not other people. Letting go and experiencing the truth and reality of Christ means that I can live on less and I don't have to fear running out because Christ supplies all my needs and he is a God of abundance and he never runs out of what I need. And experiencing this or letting go helps me to experience truth and reality in Christ that I don't need to manipulate others. I don't need to control others or situations to get what I want because I trust in the outcome of God and not in the outcome of what other people can bring or provide. I don't need to live with my fists closed tight when I, but when I let go, I can live with open hands and an open heart and trust towards God because Jesus is always better. His ways are always better. The way he wants to go about being God is always better. Until we completely let go of the things in our lives that we are grasping and clinging to, the things that we believe are holding us together, we will never be able to fully trust in Jesus. We will never be able to fully trust in the ways that God wants to be God in our lives. And Ruth Haley Barton says, without such trust, our lives are imprisoned within the protective shells of our fragile order and control. Without such trust, our lives are spent defending ourselves against the real or imagined threats of others or manipulating others for our own purposes. Isn't it so easy? I'm going to invite the praise team to come, and as they do, I want to share with you um, about someone who I just I was reminded of him this week because I was struggling to think of, like, who in my life has done this well? And that's kind of sad, isn't it, that I struggled all week to think of someone that really does this well, not just, like, kind of does it or appears to, but, like, actually believes these things. And and I think a lot of times, it, even among Christians, it's just really hard to find someone who actually lives with complete open hands to God. Like, I don't have to cling on to or hold on to anything because I just trust in God's ways. And that is my first pastor, Pastor Steve Hall from Baby, Arkansas. And the funny thing about Pastor Steve is that he is kind of like the butt of a lot of jokes on the North Arkansas district, that BB is the church that like raises up all of these amazing disciples and pastors and leaders, and then he loses them all. Like they're all raised up and brought up in his church because of the amazing work that he and his his church does, and then they all leave. Like, it's this running joke on the North Arkansas district that, that the BB church is known for producing really amazing and faithful disciples and followers of Jesus who then go on to be 
really successful pastors, and this is not like a way of talking about myself here at all, because there are so many other pastors that have come out of that church that are like doing just far beyond what I'm probably capable of doing. Uh, But it's all God, so it's all relevant. But like, really, it's so funny to me. And do you know what stands out the most? Like, this can be true, but what I love the most is that Pastor Steve was never once, even though it would be so easy, I think about it as a pastor, and I imagine all these great people that we may be able to raise up in the church and and disciple well and create good leaders and, and trust them with God, and they turn into just these exceptional leaders, and they go on to be great pastors. Like, imagine what they can do here, right? I think about that. Like, imagine how great. Like, Pastor Steve has created some amazing leaders and pastors. He's poured his life into them. Imagine what the BB Church, which is this small church, imagine what they could look like if they all stayed here. As a pastor, I would be completely tempted to cling on to those people. Like, no, we need you here. We need you to be that here. Like, this church needs you here. And do you know that Pastor Steve was the most supportive, (laughs) empowering pastor who I give him a lot of, of credit for being a pastor that always emboldened me and supported me. And I'll never forget when a pastor called me about coming to be their youth pastor. He wanted to hire me as their youth pastor. And I, my Enneagram 9 self, was terrified at what my pastor was going to think. Like, I could not stand the thought of having this pastor call him and say, hey, I'm asking Nicole to come work for me. I was so afraid of how hurt and, and disappointed Pastor Steve might be. And do you know that it was just the most supportive and incredible conversation Pastor Steve was like, yeah, she's amazing. You're really, again, his words, not mine. He just was so supportive and was like, yeah, she's going to do great. You can have her. I'm so excited to see what God does. And he did that with every single pastor. And I just thought about how beautiful of an example this was of just living open-handedly. Like, it's all God's. I don't have to cling to it. I don't have to grasp for it because it's all God's. It's all for God's glory. And therefore, Pastor Steve has been such a faithful servant who has just raised up really really amazing leaders. So as we prepare to respond this morning, I want to invite you to close your eyes. And maybe just out of like a first step of, of obedience or response to God, maybe you might just consider opening up your hands, just opening them up. Because I want to ask you, I want to ask us, what is it that we are clinging to for dear life? What is it that we are grasping for? I don't mean to demonize grasping and clinging to things because, friends, I, I will tell you, the temptation is real. What are we most afraid of losing? Maybe that's what we need to identify this morning. What are we most afraid of losing? I also wonder, what if we really ever lost by losing? Why are we so afraid of losing? As Christians... 
as people who believe in an abundant kingdom and the abundance of God, why are we clinging to dear life for things that we are so terrified to lose? What would it look like for us to live life in every single way, in every aspect of life, to live completely open-handedly, trusting everything to God, being willing to let go of anything and everything as if our life didn't depend on it? What does that look like for us? I'm depending on God to reveal it to us this morning. God, it is so easy to want to cling to the things of this world that offer us security and comfort, promise, success. God, it's so easy to want to control or manipulate our relationship with others for a number of reasons. We're afraid of losing. We're afraid of being left. We're afraid of, of losing control. We're afraid of not having power or a say. It's so easy to want to cling to things that, that seem like they offer us abundant life. God, may you help us to remember this morning that you and you alone God, your, your provision and your abundance alone. Christ, your salvation alone. Holy Spirit, your, your comfort and your presence alone is what we ought to be seeking and searching for and grasping onto. May we be able to open up our hands and open up our hearts and let everything else go and truly cling to you. Jesus, would you remind us that your way is better? You are better. You came to give life and life to the full. And we can walk around open-handed and free, trusting in your abundance and in your salvation. We can die to self every day only through your strength and power because we know that Jesus is better. It's only through your strength, God. Will you help us? Will you help us? Help me, God, not to grasp for things. In situations where I'm afraid, where I'm fearful, where I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I don't hold too tightly or if I don't cling too tightly or don't have too much control or power, God, help me to realize that, that that's a, a distrust in you. And I can trust you in all things. As a woman, as a daughter of God, as a wife, as a mother, as a pastor, as a friend, as a sister, as a daughter, I can trust you with all things. Help me, God. Help me to trust. In Jesus' name, amen. I have to say I'm a little disappointed. All this talk about let it go, I really thought you were going to sing Frozen.
So I'm going to sing that for you today. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, not going to sing that. In all seriousness, I couldn't help but think about what we read last week in John chapter 4. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, If you knew the gift of God, and he it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's the gift of God that we're offered this morning and every morning, every day. I love that Jesus called himself the gift of God. Jesus is better. Let's worship him this morning. You can stand if you're able. Take a posture of worship, whatever that looks like for you. You can sit, you can kneel. The altars are open. There is no other so sure and steady. My hope is held in your hand. When castles crumble and breath is fleeting, upon this rock I will stand. Upon this rock I will stand. Glory, glory, we have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. We raise the anthem, our loudest praises ring, we crown him Lord of Your kindly rule has shattered and broken the curse of sin's tyranny. My life is hidden neath heaven's shadow. Your crimson flood covers me. Your crimson flood covers me. Your crimson flood covers me. Glory, glory. We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. We raise the anthem. Our loudest praises ring. We crown him Lord of all. sorrows Jesus is better make my heart believe in every victory Jesus is better make my heart believe than any comfort Jesus is better, 
of the Apostle Paul who says in Galatians that it is no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me. I pray that as you leave this place that you can go confident and fully trusting in the God of glory in Christ our Savior and in Holy Spirit whose presence is made available to us that we can leave open-handedly trusting in the triune God that he is better, and that we are dead to self. We are made alive in Christ, and that is what defines everything we do and everything that we let go of. So may we believe that as we leave. Go in his peace. You are dismissed.